Five o'clock in pirate country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In five, four, three, two, one. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Right. Hello, Ben Byron. Hello, Where's, Ben Byron. I know it as the song sampled in Berserk, Eminem's Berserk, which is sad. Is that right? That's a terrible song looking back. Mm. Well, it's all right. Probably got Billy a paycheck, right? I'm sure it did. It blew up there for a little bit back in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Little 11-year-old Ben. Ah, <laughs> uh, hey, it's great to have you with us. We're uh. Awaiting, I guess, at 6 o'clock, and I, I'm kind of anxious to see and hear some of this when the president will uh, sort of lay out a, I guess you would say, blueprint, roadmap to the country reopening. It's been described like a uh, not a light switch being flipped, but more like a dimmer. And uh, I think a lot of it does have to do with... Uh, testing availability by state and uh so anyway it'll be i'm anxious to hear that uh you know there's this committee that the president's put together tom tillis it's uh, announced is on this uh, committee about reopening states uh reportedly mark cuban is on that as well as uh, jerry jones and uh robert Kraft are among those that are that are on that uh we'll get into to that in fact mark cuban talked a little bit about being on the task force to handle the return of uh, live sports, that aspect of this task force to getting America back going again. Uh, we also have, I guess, CMC spoke, Ben. Is this right? Yeah, he made a little announcement on Twitter. So like a video? Yeah. Okay. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Brian Mull joins us. The PGA has vowed to start golf back up in two months. They're kind of the first major sports league to kind of solidly set some uh, schedule, uh, some dates. They'll play four events without fans on hand, and then we'll fire up with uh, fans if they can shortly after that. We'll uh, we'll talk uh, to Brian Mull about that coming up. In fact, we'll get to that in a few minutes here before we uh, go to Brian, uh, but uh, I'm sure there's been some poo-pooing and naysaying from certain people that how dare they have the audacity to go ahead and set a date in the great unknown. But I find it very positive. I find it very exciting. Uh, you never know where things are going to turn up. Uh, there's a lot of a push here uh, out uh, the newspaper up in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where James Madison is located, uh, had a big article talking about their situation financially. And uh, the situation of ODU, which is in Conference USA, of course, uh, probably did need to have football, just probably are in the wrong conference uh, at the FBS level. Uh, but uh, Old Dominion, of course, had to, to get rid, I think, of his wrestling 
the news a couple of days ago, Cincinnati got rid of soccer. And f- for a long time, uh, we've advocated here, uh, not only on this show, but in the other incarnations on things I've been on in this, on this station and with this company about, you know, it's great to have a football mega conference, if you will, that is beyond a regional footprint. Uh, in fact, it's, it's sort of the way the business is done. I'm not wild about basketball being there, but I understand now why basketball is part of that. And by virtue of men's basketball being there, women's basketball has to be there. Uh, but what sense does it make? And I mean, this has been a long time East Carolina discussion. Uh, this just isn't brand new stuff, but you know, how does that impact negatively and, and negatively impact the budget for athletics when you're sending a volleyball team somewhere on a Tuesday, uh, when baseball's having to go to, uh, uh, you know, halfway across the country to Houston to play a series softball's having to go. I mean, these things do become very, very costly as far as athletic travel goes. But John Gilbert kind of randomly popped up in this article that was published uh, either yesterday or or today. I'm going to read you the John Gilbert quote. It certainly affects different schools at different levels. Of course, he's talking about these non-revenue sports. I think the TV networks obviously would want to hold the conference alignment as they are for football and men's and women's basketball. But I think it's time to discuss that every other sport go to a regional type format where they're playing schools that are close to us. Our athletes could play a lot of schools on a road trip that takes place maybe even in the same day. And I think those discussions we should start having in earnest. I think those are discussions we should start having in earnest. Um, You know, again, we've been saying that for years. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Obviously the television would dictate that when you've built whole networks around conferences, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC network, and a lot of money is being pumped in to the leagues that way. Are they going to want to abandon that kind of money if they do switch things up and you have a more regional set of opponents playing in Olympic sports or non-revenue sports? You could argue they don't care because they're getting football and they're getting men's basketball but they, they would cry and how if you had to divide up some of these other sports and put them on uh, any of these uh, networks and television. But it would make so much sense to do this because, again, it doesn't make sense for – it's just not ECU, Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina. Uh, they're in the Sun Belt. Liberty is an independent in the FBS, but they're in the Atlantic Sun for all of their other sports. Uh, there's there's a lot of similar kind of schools in this Carolina's Virginia region that could play one another in these conferences that are set up for non-revenue sports, and they'd make sense. The ship has sailed on basketball. Football certainly uh, is not that big a deal. It's not a huge deal for West Virginia to go to Austin, Texas every other year, however that rotation works in football, and vice versa. I mean, it's a trip, don't get me wrong, but it's not anything that is just so wildly out of bounds for football because it's not an annual trip. With basketball, it's an annual trip. It becomes a little bit more of a difficult thing, 
But where it really becomes troublesome is when you're having to send these other sports, uh, volleyball, soccer, what have you, uh, on these trips halfway across the country uh, for a conference game. And, and conferences have tried to do a much better job. Even the bus leagues have tried to do a better job of scheduling in their respective leagues to try to do their best to eliminate time missed in the classroom and help the budgets. Uh, they'll, they'll employ travel partners, that sort of thing. So I think it would be interesting to see where uh, this might uh, wind up uh, going. And if this is going to be the break that happens with uh, college athletics, as opposed to the so-called P5 breaking off on their own in football, and I guess as a result in basketball. Uh, but a lot of this is always looked through through that football lens. But uh, it would make total sense, and I think it is a good conversation to have uh, to consider would it look better for not just ECU, but for everybody to be involved in a more regional format for the non-revenue sports. You could put together a heck of a baseball league, even though the American is very good in baseball. You still could put together a heck of a baseball league uh, that would make a lot of sense. And uh, you could, uh, the schedules could really be interesting as a result of that. So just some things that are being discussed out there. We might try, uh, you know, Cy has long talked about this. Uh, so we may, I don't know, we may get Cy Seymour on to discuss it at some point, but Cy's always uh, talked a little bit about this. Uh, but he, again, that ship has sailed on, uh, on basketball. I think he wanted, uh, he would like to see basketball go back regional. A lot of the older guys like our friend Bob Harris, uh, the late Woody Durham all wanted uh, the ACC to stay as it as it was and be regional, but uh, just not. That, again, that ship has sailed. But I think it makes total sense for the non-revenue sports, and that may be where we have to go, or you risk some of these sports going away like they did at Cincinnati with men's soccer going away. All right. Uh, we had a poll. Would it be – would you be fine with sports if they came back – with uh, out fans, which is kind of the ASAP model, you want sports to go ahead and come back as soon as possible, likely means without any spectators, or do you only want these sports to be played if there are spectators? Ben, what do you think the Twitter result poll of the Twitter poll results were? I think people are really bored, and there's so much garbage on TV. They probably want sports to come back as soon as possible. All right. Now, if you had to, uh, 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 you know, put a percentage on that, what would you what would you think it is? Uh, I would say maybe like sixty percent, sixty percent. You maybe? would be incorrect, Ben. You would oh, be okay. incorrect. All right. Seventy five percent say they want sports back as soon as possible. Fans in the stands, be damned. So, you're you're in the majority, Ben. You just undershot it a little bit. I it's thought people maybe wanted a tailgate or something like that. You know, they wanted things to be back to normal around here. I don't well, know. Well, you know, and it, this is this leads to another conversation, and I and I think it's something that, you know, ticket sales are important. They're still an important part of the college athletics model. It's a huge part of the ECU model. But here's I really and and I the people at ECU athletics have done a really nice job of making the situation a more family-friendly situation with the kids' zone and some other things they've done. Uh, it's, you know, with the new look white lot with the ability to hook up a television and internet and all that there. So they've done things to make all this a little easier for fans. 
But I mean, you know, I think a lot of times media people look at this and why aren't fans here? You know, I, we went to a game last year. I went with my family uh, to a to a football game on one of ECU's off weeks. And, I mean, we had to go up and around to go through the gates because of the security checks. And it just, it, what I think is it's failed to realize sometimes by people in the media, because, I mean, you get a parking pass in the media. You get a guaranteed seat. You can leave the game if you want to leave the game whenever you want. If you're there and you've got a family of four and you're paying for the tickets, right? I mean, it's a day-long deal to go to football. It's, it's a day-long situation. If the game's at 3.30, I mean, you're out there at your spot, you're tailgating. The parking, if you don't have those, uh, if, you're, if you're not a Pirate Club member, I'm just throwing that out because it's the most local example. But, I mean, if you're just a fa- you know, you can only make one or two games a year and you go, you got to find somewhere to park. You got to, you know, drag the kids up to the, I mean, it's a, it's a day long thing. And I just, I think people sometimes overestimate the commitment to go to a sporting event for families. That's not the case for everybody, but for a lot of families, it's, it's a big deal to do that. Uh, Mark Cuban talked about how to handle fans returning back to live sporting events. Was this from ESPN, Ben, or do we know where he did this interview? It was on TMZ. Okay. So this is Mark Cuban on TMZ uh, and TMZ sports talking about how the task force that he's a part of to get the uh, country kind of back open and going plans to handle fans returning back to live sporting events. Hit it. Yeah. There's no question. That's the hard part because when, when are people going to feel confident enough to go to big, big gatherings? Right. And you know, it's going to be difficult to start off with 25 people, let alone 15,000. And so we're just going to have to defer to you know, the scientists, the, the doctors who, t- who will tell us what we need to do to get the arenas in shape to be able to accept people and for those people to have confidence. I mean, at the American Airlines Center, we're already talking about not only the sanitation and sterilization efforts, but how can we label things like, you know, chairs or um, escalator handles so that people know that, you know, that they've been cleaned or do we do um, an augmented reality software app where people can point their phone at any device in the arena or any any location in the arena and know when it was last clean and what was done to it. If a player thinks that um, they need a mask in order to play, we're probably trying to play too early. There's too much uncertainty. And so I think that'll be a good gauge for us to try to determine what you know whether it's time to play. I mean, I don't see us playing with fans, but I think, you know, I think maybe players will discuss it. Maybe a player will try it, and then they'll realize how difficult it is, you know, and it won't happen in an actual game. So he says a player wearing a mask is too early to come back. If we're if we're talking about people downloading apps and aiming them at something to see if it's been cleaned, that's too early for fans to come back. That's ridiculous. I mean, what? But again, and and credit to Cuban because Cuban is all in on trying to get things back to normal, and I think that's fantastic. But I mean. Not everybody who's going to be able to consume your product may have the means to have that type of phone to die. And more and more people do. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, who wants to go through that kind of aggravation? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a germaphobe, right, Ben? You know this. There's no doubt about that. No so doubt about it. Everything that you all have been doing for the last month, I've been doing for my whole life. 
and people wonder why I'm aggravated. It's exhausting to make sure everything's clean before you touch it. Uh, it's exhausting to wipe down surfaces that you know are used by other people because they may not be wiping them down. It's exhausting to carry the uh, hand sanitizer with you everywhere. Oh, it's just it's exhausting. And I mean, but if you're having to go to all these measures, it's just, I can't see people wanting to do that. Uh, Cuban was asked by the TMZ folks, is he okay with sports coming back if fans are not allowed? I'm okay with it. I really am. Um, I think the NBA has a moral obligation to come back as soon as we can. And because people need sports, we need something to, cho to cheer for, something to get behind communally. You know, all the people rooting in North Texas for the Dallas Mavericks, the Dallas Cowboys, that's important. Um, and if it means not having fans and just streaming and broadcasting the games on television, I'm all for it because it's just it's good for the psyche. For all the reasons when you talked earlier about the 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 side effects of an economic depression and not moving forward. We want to, you know, having sports will help us deal with that. Will help us deal with those negative side effects and give people something to get excited about. And, and I think that's what they're going to have to do. You're, you're going to have to play without there being any sort of uh, fans in the stands at first. Uh, probably not a doable model, model for college, but I think a doable model for certainly the NBA. I, I heard something today that the NHL is still holding out hope to finish a season. They've even kicked around an idea of finishing a season in the summer, maybe later, and then starting the following year uh, on a delay. So they want to be able to get back out there. We've heard a lot about what baseball may or may not do. NFL seems like they want to play, and I think ultimately if they're going to stay on schedule and start in mid-September, they're going to play without fans. Uh, the uh, PGA Tour announced their plans today to resume their tournament schedule beginning on June 11th through the 14th with the Charles Schwab Challenge at Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, they'll have events following that, events that will be played without fans like the Charles Schwab will. Uh, that includes the event down in uh, Hilton Head as well. So uh, PGA is talking about getting back going in a couple of months. The first time they would have fans would be 90 days from now. And, of course, that would obviously be subject to change. That would be the John Deere in Illinois uh, on July 9th. Uh, Brian Moe will be by to talk about that in a little more detail in a bit. Uh, we'll take a timeout. Uh, it's going to be chilly tonight. Uh, a forecast for you. And also what Michael Jordan had to say uh, about this documentary and what he his worst nightmare with this Bulls documentary that got moved up. It'll start airing Sunday. Uh, and a little Christian McCaffrey sound, Brian Moe, we're getting all to it. But when we come back, uh, what MJ had to say on the PJ Show. Patrick Johnson. I think he's a hedonist and an overblown grandstander. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Everybody, everybody, let's get into it. Get stoked. Get started. Get started. Get started. Let's get it started. So back in the day, Ben, we uh, had... This as kind of the intro song to some of our uh, ECU game day programming locally. And it always reminds me because, I mean, football season goes over several months, right? Yeah. And the musical tastes of uh, the populace change and a song gets played out. Well, this was our song every week. and It was a popular song at the time, this one particular year. And I remember it was the year we had Richard Horgan on. 
and uh, Charlie Robinson, and, and it drove Horrigan crazy that we played this song every week. It was very funny. Definitely a product of his time, this song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a frost advisory in effect for tonight. Patchy frost, especially for areas in the county and rural kind of areas outside of the city. Uh, around 35 for the low tonight. 72 tomorrow. A little bit of a shot at rain on Friday night. Showers Saturday. And then Sunday, 40% chance of rain with a high near 71. Uh, starting next week with a high of 68 and a chance of a precip. Uh, I was going to try to to do the coast this weekend, Ben, but I think it's going to be too rainy, to be honest with you. That's the uh, forecast uh, coming up with that frost advisory tonight. Uh, are, they've moved up the Last Dance Chicago Bulls Michael Jordan documentary that ESPN is going to air. Uh, did you did you see where they're going to have two versions of this? They're going to have uh, sort of a clean, censored version that will air on ESPN two, but the uncensored version will air on ESPN. In other words, none of the bad words will be bleeped out. Uh, the late Brian uh, Dennehy, he uh, died today at age eighty one, which I thought he was way older than that. He always looked older than that. Uh, when they he was in that horrible Bobby Knight movie uh, that ESPN put out and starred as Knight. I remember they did that. They did a, a censored version on uh, one of the one of the stations, and then the other station took the uncensored. Then I think ESPN two took the uncensored, if I remember correctly, and ESPN, which was uh, in more households, took the censored version. But uh, anyway, the uncensored version of the Last Dance will air on uh, ESPN. A censored version will air on uh, ESPN, too. But you know what Michael Jordan's biggest concern about this whole thing is? Is that he's going to come out looking like a horrible guy at the end of it. Because MJ really pushed his teammates so much that it came across uh, what some people would say is mean or too extreme or cruel, but Jordan was well aware of that. And I think when people see the footage, uh, they they will maybe get an idea of how intense Mike was and why he was that intense. Competitive is the way to put it. Well, that's the way he always said it was competitive, but I mean, you, he would really, really, really get on the guys that were his teammates, Steve Kerr, who they would have you believe was one of the big contributors to this thing. No, nope. and he wasn't. No, not even close. But they sure put him on the uh, on the marquee, don't they? Uh, he, I think, he even slugged Steve Kerr. Go ahead, Jordan Steve. did in one of the practices. <laughs> no, not that. No, Steve Kerr. So uh, that was funny, Ben. The uh, we all remember when MJ was uh, put into the Hall of Fame, and a lot of people perceived his Hall of, Hall of Fame speech to be soaked with bitterness. Uh, you know, what's funny is that everybody always got on Mike for not like the modern-day athlete speaking his mind because Jordan was a businessman. Jordan realized if you isolate half the population, that's half the population that won't buy your shoes or won't buy the Nike gear that you're attached to or the, or the Jumpman logo stuff. And so when Jordan came out and really was the real Michael Jordan that you'll see this beginning this Sunday at his Hall of Fame speech, people got their panties in a bunch because that was the real Jordan. So it's just, yeah, I, I, I you know, it's funny that MJ says he's going to 
He's concerned this documentary will make him look like a horrible guy. We're going to have somebody on tomorrow to talk about that. We're working on a couple of guests. We have one lined up, but there's a really big guest that we might be able to get. I, I'm not sure we will for this week, but but maybe in the ensuing weeks, because they're going to air a couple of these uh, each week for the next uh, few weeks. I think it's a 10-part. And this harkens, if you think about the OJ series uh, that they put on, this is not so much a 30 for 30 as it is an ESPN Films documentary. The MJ stuff was, or the uh, OJ stuff was amazing. That whole thing, I think that was a 10-parter too. That was, it was just remarkable. Uh, and I expect this to be the case too. And kudos to ESPN, the worldwide leader for moving this thing up because, uh, by God, we need something to watch, don't we? Uh, we'll uh, have Brian Mull on here in just a little bit, talk more about the golf. I'll get his thoughts on, you know, regionalizing college uh, athletics. Brian covering a lot of college hoops. Uh Speaking of desperate to watch stuff on TV, do you know what the biggest rated sort of replay of a game is? You know, we've it, it, the NCAA play replayed some of their past championship games. Fox is replaying some past Super Bowls. Uh, do you know what the, the biggest and most watched replay of a sporting event has been so well, far? Well, I would have thought – I would have – Thought it would have been one of those two that you mentioned, but uh, it it seems like it may not. I don't know. I'm it intrigued was, now. It was the Masters replay Sunday of Tiger winning last year. Did over two million. Wow. Okay. I would have never expected that. Yeah. That's surprising. Well, and you know, it was fun to go back and watch some of that. I didn't watch every second of it, but it was fun to go back and watch some of that because it was, you know, uh, just interesting to to kind of really because he was dead in the water. Tiger was. I mean, not dead in the water, but it just didn't look like he was going to win. It's it's a feel good sports moment. It's a historic well, feel good moment. And I know a lot of I, I talked to a lot of people who watched it and said, "Well, I forgot this, or I wasn't there, and I watched, or I was there." Excuse me, and and so it's really the first time I've watched the whole round on television. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll get to that with Brian Mull, PGA announcing they're coming back. Uh, so that's in a matter of moments. Uh, birthday shout out to our guy, Coach Carr. Neil Carr celebrating a birthday today. So uh, Coach, who is social distancing, uh, like many on our uh, our company are, working from home during this time. Uh, we uh, say happy birthday to Coach Carr and hope to see him around these parts real soon. Right now, Ben Byram updating you on everything going on in the world. And then uh, Brian Mull joins us uh, to talk about the PGA's plans and also some college realignment uh, discussion. So stand by for that. Here's Ben. Thanks, Patrick. Ben Byram here for your 94 Through the Game sports update. Despite NFL season being riddled with uncertainty, the league is still pl- still plans to release its 2020 schedule by May 9th based on a full season. Adjustments to the schedule will be made as and if, ne- if necessary, the contingencies remain in discussion by the league sources. The coronavirus has officially hit the league this time, affecting a player as Rams, Rams center Brandon Allen was revealed to have tested positive for the virus. A Rams spokes, sp- spokesperson confirmed the diagnosis, adding that Allen felt slight symptoms but now is feeling much better. The 24-year-old is the first active NFL player to publicly acknowledge that he tested positive for the virus. The college athletics UNC Pembroke is changing his conference affiliation, leaving the Peach Belt to become a member of the Conference Carolinas. Although UNCP has been a member of the Peach Belt for the past 28 years, the move is something of a homecoming for the Robeson County School. The Braves were previously affiliated with the Conference Carolinas from 1976 to 1992. USC quarterback JT Daniels 
has announced that he will be entering the transfer portal. Daniels looked to be the face of the Spartans heading into his sophomore season, but a knee injury set him back and kept it on the sidelines for the season. Daniels was recruited as a five-star prospect, and in his freshman year, he started 11 games, throwing for 2,672 yards, 14 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. Wrapping it up with the PGA, PGA Tour, as reported by Forbes.com's Brian Mole, the PGA Tour announced plans to resume its 2020 tournament schedule beginning June 11th through the 14th with the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth, Texas. As it stands, the world's premier professional golf tour aims to be the first major sports organization to return to a full schedule. PGA Tour has been on a hiatus since March 13th when the threat of COVID-19 halted the Players' Championship after one round. The tour plans to hold its first four events, including stops in South Carolina, Connecticut, and Michigan without spectators. If you're 94 through the game sports update, I'm Ben Byron. More from the Patrick Johnson Show after this quick timeout. Patrick Johnson, every weekday at 5. I know he's a friend of yours, but that guy is bonkers. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. And a huge amount of news to talk about with our uh, next guest. We have him on regularly. We bug him, but he always answers the bell. Our My guy Brian Bull is with us here. Uh, Forbes.com with a big article out today regarding the PGA Tour. Uh, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well, Patrick. Hope you are. Yeah, I am. I do want to get into all this golf, but I do want to uh, hit you up with something else because of your uh, extensive background in covering college basketball and and I think you'd be qualified to speak on this a little bit uh the uh, John Gilbert director of athletics somehow wound up with a comment in the Harrisonburg paper about perhaps regionalizing uh the Olympic sports or non-revenue sports in other words in tax day football college basketball women's basketball in their current state of the conferences but these other sports move elsewhere. Uh, this is something that we've talked about on this show with other guests numerous times. Uh, I've talked about it a lot. Cy Seymour, our good friend, has talked about it uh, a lot as well. It just made sense. You know, I think when you look at what is going to happen with the changes that will come as a result of this uh, situation to college athletics, you know, there's a lot of talk. Well, football could separate, and and the so-called P5, so-called G5. I I think this makes a little more sense than something that would radically change and break contracts. In other words, uh, getting to a more regional model with Olympic sports for everybody, not just the American or the CAA, but even the ACC is probably something that makes more sense. Oh, without question, it's something that I've. Uh... You know, we've spoken about uh, many times and, and, and been pushing for. And really, when you look at why conferences uh, were formed, going back to the ACC in the, in the 50s, uh, it was uh, to find like regional partners, uh, you know, and uh, only a few leagues have been able to keep that type of geographic footprint. Uh, the Big South and the Southern Conference have done a pretty good job of that here in the Southeast. But for the most part, I mean, when you think about not only the American 
or the ACC, but Conference USA or Sunbelt, and you're sending non-revenue sports, volleyball teams and things of that nature, soccer teams, halfway across the country on a weeknight to play a game or or these extended trips, it just doesn't make uh, a lot of sense. And and I know from a non-conference scheduling standpoint, uh, already even in some of the revenue sports such as men's basketball, that some of the a lot of the regional schools here in the Carolinas are are looking to primarily have a a bus schedule, if you will, for their non-conference games. And it just uh, you know I had a commissioner of a conference, I had a conversation with him earlier this week, and and then he was saying you know maybe this is something we should have been doing all along, and it's taken this uh, you know this virus, this uh, this potential. Uh, just, uh, you know, with the loss of football, something that just could be very destructive to, to force us to kind of realign and uh, and do something that makes sense uh, from a fiscal standpoint. Well, enter the situation with uh, the networks, ACC Network, Big Ten Network, I guess to a degree, the Pac-12 Network, and uh, what we see with uh, the SEC Network. Those networks, from an inventory standpoint, it does really nothing as far as drawing ratings. It's nothing that's going to sell a sponsor, but it does provide enough additional inventory uh, to make the buy a palatable thing and make sense for an advertiser. Not only are you going to get SEC football or Big Ten basketball, but we're going to give you inventory in uh, our lacrosse uh, broadcast, our softball broadcast. So that that to me could also be a thing that I guess might you know muddy the waters. But if you're in the American, if you're in the Colonial, if you're in the Big South, this would make a lot of sense, uh, particularly for the schools of the American Conference USA and Sun Belt, maybe. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, for years, it's just been a head scratcher, and now looking at uh, the financial issues that have been going on in Old Dominion, already having to drop a sport prior to now Cincinnati all of this. this week. Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we're just going to have we're going to see more of that, especially if by some uh, reason, uh, you know, if there is no football in, in the fall. Uh, certainly, the the commissioners from the, from the Power Five conferences uh, met with uh, the vice president of the United States earlier this week, and those you know discussions were had. And there's just no feasible way that uh, we can have college football unless the students are back on campus, and uh, that's a big hurdle. To, to leap over and when we, when you look at where we're at right now, I mean, optimistically, I think everyone hopes that will happen, but uh, we just don't know what, what the future holds and can we start bringing students back in large numbers to these campuses in late August? And, uh, you know, football pays the bills across the board uh, at every level and without it, um, you know, there's just going to be some difficult decisions and, and, and regional conference play makes a lot of sense and could help us uh, help these universities avoid having to drop programs, which nobody wants to see. But right. ultimately, that's what's going to happen if, uh, if if they have to continue to go on with this model. All right. Brian Mull's with us here. The PGA Tour is the first major sporting uh, league organization to come out with a schedule. They announced plans today to resume the 2020 tournament schedule starting in June. Uh, you wrote about it at Forbes.com. You could check out Brian's article there. Uh, Brian, uh, this obviously, I think, is uh, is a good thing. Now, look, this is, has been and will be criticized today uh, by, uh, you know, our friends in, in certain with certain sports organizations trying to be hot takey or just for whatever reason 
I, you know, maybe there are politics in her. I don't know. But I'll, I'll say this. To me, I view this as well thought out, and I view this as a real uh, good sign that we could be back to getting life back to normal in a sense. Certainly. And, and I think everyone has to understand, looking at the schedule, it is hopeful. It is optimistic that we could be playing a PGA Tour event in Fort Worth, Texas in June. Uh, without spectators, of course, uh, you're going to have to have uh, players and caddies. So there's 300 people and then uh, the, the, the various rules officials. But without spectators, you don't need nearly as many volunteers from the community. Um, of course, you, you are going to have the televised aspect of it. So uh, the crew is necessary to run to run that operation. But I mean, I, just off of the top of my head, having been to so many of these tour events, ballpark, I, I would think you could you could run one of these events with a thousand people or so uh, when it's all said and done. Of course, that'd be bare bones all the way. But um, and, and then you could put yourself in a situation where there is testing, hopefully, for all of these people and uh, and, and kind of keep it in this, uh, you know, centralized, uh, you know, spot where, where there's no spread. Uh, the first four weeks without spectators events in Texas. Uh, the RBC Heritage and Hilton Head back on the mm, schedule on okay. June 18th, 21st, typically the post-Masters event, and then up uh, Cromwell, Connecticut, just outside of Hartford and Detroit. And then the plan right now is for the first event with spectators to be the John Deere Classic in Silvis, Illinois, in mid-early uh, July. So, you know, again, uh, I th- you know, and there are events on the schedule every week uh, up till Thanksgiving. And at this point, of course, the majors announced uh, a couple of weeks ago that they were re, you know, reconfiguring their schedule, trying to get all those events in. Of course, the big one being the Masters moving to November. So uh, it's optimistic. It feels good to see some actual dates on paper. Uh, we'll we'll just see what happens. But uh, the, the the experts, uh, the, the health experts that I had uh, read, including Dr. Fossey and other other folks, had said that they felt like golf and tennis presented the best opportunities to return to some type of schedule because uh, limited contact, of course, between the participants. And also you could, you could, you could test the folks and uh, kind of control the environment, if you will, and identify anyone that, uh, you know, perhaps had contracted the virus. And, you know, I was just looking at uh, the numbers, the recent numbers, uh, you know, Texas has 29 million people mm-hmm. and only 15,000 cases um, as we speak. So, uh you know, that's a good sign. It's certainly not a hot spot area. And uh, South Carolina is, um, of course, you know, much smaller population, about 5 million. But uh, certainly they they have not had uh, any issues with it as well. So hopefully with another month or so of this social distancing and, and just continuing to follow the procedures, uh, we can be in good shape to, to get back up and running and have some pro golf. And uh, I guarantee you the TV ratings will be as high as they've ever been. We got Brian Mole with us uh, here. Brian, of course, uh, Forbes.com out with the article today. The PGA Tour has announced that it plans to resume activities uh, in early June, early to mid-June, with uh, the uh, Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth. Uh, they also have a stop in the Carolinas down in Hilton Head. So I guess, Brian, uh, Charlotte does not happen this year. Is Greensboro still a possibility with this uh, information today? Yes, Greensboro is on the schedule. Uh, it basically retains uh, the dates uh, that it had uh, post-PGA Championship and pre-FedEx Cup. It's the last regular season event. 
uh, August 13th through 16th at Sedgefield in Greensboro. And then leading right into that are the three uh, FedEx Cup playoff events in Boston, uh, outside Chicago, and then, of course, the Tour Championship in Atlanta. Uh, followed a couple of weeks after that by the uh, by the U.S. Open and then the uh, the Ryder Cup. So you want to, um, I mean, one of the epic potentially one of the epic months in the history of golf could be this September 2020 with uh, the Tour Championship, the U.S. Open, and the Ryder Cup played basically uh, back to back to back. Brian, have you gotten any sense from players that there'll be some trepidation on their part to to go out there and play? Or do you think at this point guys are itching to get back out there and realize they, they need at some point in the summer to get back out there? Yeah, I think these guys are going crazy. I mean, you think about golfers in general, and then you think of some golfers who live in states where all the courses have been closed. I mean, we're very fortunate here in the Carolinas. And uh, I saw a report earlier this week where roughly uh, based on, on estimations about half the courses in the country are closed. But certain states, I talked to someone, a college golfer who lives in South Florida, recently and 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 has not been able to, to do anything other than chip balls in the yard for for three weeks um and uh you know a lot of these you see a lot of these tour players with makeshift uh chipping and putting greens in their in their backyards or, or perhaps the real thing of course they a lot of them have the indoor simulators and they're able to you know hone their skills somewhat but look these they're creatures of habit they're they're used to being on the road playing 30 weeks a year and uh they need uh and you know the income pretty good too uh the opportunity to play for six or seven million dollars every week uh is nothing to sneeze at so uh i I feel like um you know again if they do not want to play if they feel there's too much risk they are independent contractors no one is forcing them to play they they certainly can make that choice but i I feel like most of the pros will will decide that uh, you know in a controlled environment it's well worth any risk still it's hundreds of people maybe uh upwards of uh a thousand to put one of these events on if you count the television the volunteers etc uh is, is are, are officials feeling like that's too much too overwhelming of of a of a number of people to test or at least take temp test before the tournament maybe uh take temperatures of i mean are the, are the numbers too great there or is the pga feel like even with this schedule and the amount of events, they'll have enough resources to get testing for everyone involved. Well, that's a great question. And I'm hopeful as we get closer, there'll be more revealed about that. Certainly uh, Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the tour in his statement today. And I know he's been in close contact with, with the white house and of course, various public uh, health officials. And, you know, he, he said, they're certainly uh, they're setting these dates. Uh, they are set in stone for the moment. There certainly could be future cancellations, and I would think a large part of that would be dependent upon whether there is the testing uh, in place at those times. I, I just can't envision how you could hold these events without testing everyone who's going to be on the grounds, to be honest with you. Um, you just couldn't put yourself in a situation where, where somebody slipped through the cracks and, and uh, you know was able to infect a large swath of people. That would be not only... Uh, awful for each of those people, but it would be a terrible public relations hit uh, for the tour, and certainly they'd be questioned for trying to return so soon. Hey, Brian, uh, great to hear from you, as it always is. Uh, if you're going to get out uh, today or this weekend, hit them straight. Uh, but some real positive news today, and you can check out uh, Brian Mull's latest uh, article on this, Forbes.com. It has a lot of great information in it, uh, and uh, at BG Mull on Twitter is where you could follow him there. Brian, thanks. Thank you, Patrick. Have a great day.
And uh, by the, we've also linked that to uh, our uh, our uh, Facebook and our Twitter. Uh, you may have to dig a little bit for it. We uh, posted it as soon as uh, Brian got that out for Forbes this morning after everything was uh, made official. But uh, Brian, on top of it, there uh, we uh, have CMC audio, right? We'll we get do, to that. We do. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that uh, coming up in uh, our final segment here of the uh, show today. And uh, we'll hear what he had to say. I guess the extension through 2025 was made official today. And uh, the new face of the Panthers franchise, Christian McCaffrey, with uh, some comments for the fans. So we'll have that uh, for you when we return on this uh, Thursday, Patrick Johnson Show. Patrick Johnson. For a guy who thinks he's cool, you're sure no fun. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. All right, CFC uh, officially announcing his contract extension on Twitter today. And he thanked the organization. What's up, Panthers fans? Christian McCaffrey here. The contract is officially signed, sealed, and delivered, and I couldn't be more excited. I'm so fortunate. This is an unbelievable time for me and my family and all my loved ones. Uh, man, I, I don't know where to start uh, saying thank you, first off, just to the whole Panthers organization for believing in me and allowing me to continue my career in the place where it started. Um, thank you to Mr. Tepper for believing in me. Thank you to Marty Herney for believing in me, Coach Rule for believing in me. Um, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, we have a great thing going, a fresh start, and, and uh, I'm, I'm more than excited. So to all the Panthers fans out there, I uh, hope you're as excited as I am. Um, we're going to go out there, win some games, and give you everything we've got. So keep pounding, and let's go. Kind of a weird whisper at the end, wasn't it? Uh, Roger Goodell will be conducting the draft from the basement of his home. Uh, I, uh, I am uh, hoping and thinking that they need to put uh, you know, a machine in. That plays, you know, booze or whatever, right? It's really come to this, huh? The draft in the basement. Yeah, hang on here. No. 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 Hang on. Well, where are the booze? I thought we had booze on here, but we Boo! don't. There's they one. need to pipe that sound in, yeah. Pipe that in. Hey, thanks to Brian Mull for being on with us today. Uh, we're going to preview the uh, Jordan deal tomorrow. I think you'll uh, enjoy that and looking forward to seeing that on Sunday night. We'll be back with you tomorrow, 5 o'clock here on the Patrick Johnson Show.